Welcome to Fearless Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we're on episode 219. Yeah. And I'm excited about this. Well, I'm always excited about these episodes. Yeah. I, what I'm super excited for is we have not had an interview in a while. And we've got an amazing interview lined up. So I'm, I'm beyond excited. Because you know what? I think sometimes people get tired of just listening to us talk. Well, at least they like listening to us talk. Let's hope so. Right. Well, I I hope so. I mean, it'd be terrible because if then we'd have to do, always do interviews, which then people be like, oh, you guys can't stand on your own. So hopefully our podcast is OK. Now, what I love about this person we're going to interview is that, you know, I always talk about there's a lot of resellers that are behind the scenes right now. She has dropped some YouTube videos in the past and they're great. But there, you know, she hasn't done that a little bit. Maybe she needs to again. I don't know. It's up to her. But there's people that are making things happen and they're actually quality resellers. They're not they're not making, you know, they're not doing reselling to make a YouTube channel. Right. Yeah. It's reverse. They're actually resellers and they can't make the YouTube channel because either it's not profitable compared to the reselling or they're just they're just busy. So just hustling. And yeah, and that, that's kind of what we like because we like that, you know. We want some people who are real hustlers. And so that's why we set up real interviews because here at Pierce Podcast, real relevant and reselling. Yeah. And I, I like I like getting people that haven't been on on well, I think she might have been on a podcast or two or YouTube, but this is the first on Pierce Podcast. So Anya, also known as Resellicious on all the social media accounts. So Anya, how are you? Tell us a little bit about who you are to our listeners. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. So yeah, my name is Anya, aka Resellicious on Instagram. I've been a reseller for five years and coming up on my two-year anniversary in February of being a full-time reseller. So over this time, I've grossed over a million in sales. Not saying that because that's some magic number. I'm just trying to give the audience some kind of idea about my experience level and what kind of value I may or may not have for some of your listeners. So my, my Instagram page might appear a little bit dead if you go to it because I mostly post on my stories. Uh, I talk about everything from my sales journey to news about various selling platforms. I talk about my financial goals. I like to share some humor now and then and some some jokes with people. So I just want to thank you guys for inviting me to your podcast today. I'm a regular listener. I also post about you from time to time. You do. <laughs> it's, it's a great quality show. It's, it's really good. Oh, well, thank you so much. So uh, you've been reselling, you said, full-time for a little while now. Uh, what did you do before reselling and kind of what led you into reselling? I think I kind of confuse people when I explain what my job was. So I kind of just say now the closest thing to my job. I, I basically worked for an internet marketing company in the advertising department. And I started out as an SEO content writer. I'm surprised how many people don't know what SEO is mm. because I would think resellers would understand. You have to optimize your, your eBay listing. So I would think people know what that is, but they really don't. But so can you explain it real quick? Because there's probably uh, people that don't. I can. I mean, I don't know how interesting it is or not, but it's it's search engine optimization. Basically, when you have your own website, that's not when you're selling something that's not through eBay or through Amazon, you have to get yourself in a position on Google where people can actually find you. It's it's a really competitive thing to do. It takes money. It takes uh, having a really good quality website and showing Google that you can you can, you're a good quality site basically. So there's companies that do this for a living. People pay them thousands of dollars to get them traffic to their sites. And that's the industry I came from. 
All right, so let's land there for a moment. I know we're going off script, right? This is an organic yeah, podcast, yeah. but uh, you know, you mentioned SEO. So what what mm-hmm. comes to mind is you have this background, you understand it, right? But instead of having your own website, you still sell on eBay and Amazon. Why is that? So yeah, what I learned, well, for the past year and a half was the first time that I had my own products to put on a site, but I was reselling products. So I'm reselling things from, from Ross, Marshall's thrift stores. So putting this all on a website and then marketing on Google and having people come to this webpage that just has a bunch of random stuff, you're not going to be very successful doing that because it just doesn't look legitimate. So it's better to go with a platform like Amazon or eBay, where you have all the credibility of those platforms and they do the SEO for you. And they already have the built-in traffic. You don't have to pay for traffic. You don't have to put in hours into ranking organically to get traffic. So it's it's the best solution if you're selling someone else's product. But I do have private label products now, which are products that I have created and manufacture in China. And I'm working on a Shopify website to promote those because I think that's where it's more appropriate to, to you know, have your own platform to sell on. Okay. The reason I ask that is all the time, you know, you'll be on social media and people are like, I'm done with eBay. I'm done with Amazon. I'm going to make my own website. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think you understand like how hard it is to have your own website and to drive traffic, especially if you don't have, like, if you have a huge social media following, it's easier, right? Cause you just drive people there, but everything you just said tells me, yeah, I'm, I don't, I don't think I want to do that anytime soon. So, all right. Let's go back. Your SEO marketer. I don't know if that's the official title of what you're doing before. Okay. And then what happened with reselling? So what happened was I, that was my first serious job after finishing school. That wasn't a summer job type of thing. And I worked in this at the same company for about eight years. And I had pay raises over the years where I would get every couple of years, I'd get another couple thousand dollars. I get a little promotion. And finally I was making what people say is the average American household salary. So I'm supposed to be set at this point, but I was really not set at all. I was able to finally, for the first time, pay all my bills on time without incurring any late fees. I had about $350 at the end of the month, if I budgeted correctly, that was discretionary income for me. And I I started reading about financial literacy and realized I needed to be putting away about $5500 a year in a retirement account. I mean, did you guys you, you guys know yeah, that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, something wasn't adding up. I have I have $350 at the end of the month. That means that if I want to save for retirement, that's going to take every single cent I have and then some. And and how am I going to save for a down payment on a house? And if I'm using all that discretionary income for what I, you know, responsible things like putting it in a retirement account, I'm not going to have any money to have fun with. I'm not going to be able to go to the movies to eat out. And so I'm I'm not a math expert, you guys. I didn't excel in math in school, but those numbers don't add up to me. So I realized I needed some other extra side income if I was going to get anywhere in in life. So I I became really disillusioned with the rat race and the salary idea that I'd been fed my whole life. 
Interesting. So how did that, did you, so you continued being, you know, working in this marketing firm and then mm-hmm. what, like, how, how did you say, Hey, I'm going to go to a thrift store. I'm going to go to do some retail. Like, how did that begin to happen? Yeah. Well, I was trying to make a lot of things work within my budget. And so I wanted to, at this time, I'm getting older. I want to step up my wardrobe. I want to present myself better. So I start looking for clothes online and I I come to eBay and I'm like, okay, eBay has deals. Let me put in these price filters. So I'm looking for, for a skirt and I put in, you know, my filter and the only stuff coming up in my budget is used clothes. So that was my first introduction. Like, wait, people sell used clothes. And and even then, this was five years ago. So I think prices were a little bit more premium then. So I'm looking at uh, a J Crew skirt and it's used and it's still going for $30. It's still expensive. So I'm I'm seeing, wow, that's actually serious money. And I didn't really think that much of it, but I was roommates with my sister splitting the bills with her at this time. And she was ahead of me when it came to fashion. She's really into brands and quality clothing. And she decided to throw out a bunch of her clothes and trash bags one day. And I'm like, wait, don't do that. Don't throw those away. We can make money off of those. And she was like, no, I think I'm going to throw them away. They're going to take up too much space. And I, I had to beg her. I, I had to plead with her like, no, don't please let me sell them. And she was like, fine, but you better sell them soon if you want to, or I'm going to throw them in the trash. So I, I started listing her clothes and they started selling and she saw what I was doing and she was like, okay, that's kind of cool. And she would pull something from her closet. And for, I think about three months, it took me to, to go through most of her clothes. I built up about $2,000 in this PayPal account. And I, I mean, that's that's a good amount of money, I think, to have just sitting in an account. I mean, I'm someone who was for years, month to month, and having a couple hundred dollars at the end of the month, and now I have this two thousand dollar nest egg in PayPal. Wow! So no, that, that yeah. that's amazing. So did you uh, did you rope your your sister into reselling also, or uh, did she not not get the bug from you? Yeah, she she did get the bug from me eventually. It took her a few years to catch on. Um, it wasn't until I got a lot more successful with eBay when I reached the kind of $5,000 range that she really took notice and was like, whoa, wait a minute, you can make serious money on that. So I did get her into that too. She's she's also been doing it full time. Okay. So it seems you move pretty quick, I guess. In re- so you're just saying this was five years ago and now you're a full-time reseller and, and you sell in various avenues. So how how did you get there? Like, did you watch YouTube? Did you listen to podcasts? Or did you just randomly go with your phone and research for hours a day? Like, wh- what did it take for for you to get, let's say, to a part to a place where you're making good money part time? Well, after I acquired that two thousand dollar nest egg, I was I had been wanting more discretionary income, but then I was looking at it, thinking, wait a minute there's got to be a way to make more of this. So that's when I found YouTube. I was like, how do you, how do you find stuff to sell on eBay? And that's when I saw, I think I saw Rake and Profit and whoever was around five years ago. And they were all about go to the thrift store and buy clothes and, and you can buy other used stuff to sell. So that's when I started going to the thrift store. I would watch those videos and list. 
And uh, I, yeah, I was all over YouTube at that time. Uh, I listened to, I found the Scavenger Life podcast and they, they were huge thrifters. They had thousands of items. So I started to get the idea in my head, wow, wait a minute, if I get enough items, I could actually do this full time and I wouldn't have to work a job at all. That's really cool. So you you said you were uh, you were rooming with your sister, and obviously mm-hmm. space was an issue. She's trying to get rid of these clothes th- that fast. So yeah. um, did you end up having like stuff stacked all in your house, like of of as you started to get more and more inventory? Like what did that look like? Because I, I remember me, it started with like, all right, I've got like this tote, and then the tote turned mm-hmm. into a rack, and the next thing you know, I'm converting whole rooms into to inventory storage. So what did that look like for you? Yeah, it it wasn't too bad at that point. I mean, with after I think another year or so, uh, she ended up getting married and I moved out on my own. So it did start to become a problem. She would complain about it to me. We had a living room and then I had these large boxes in the living room that had just clothes in them. It was mostly just clothes at that time. So those don't take up too much space. It's all the hard goods and other things that really take up space, but we had a, I had stuff in the laundry room and then I think I had racks in my bedroom that had clothes. So it was starting to get crowded, but at that point it wasn't, it wasn't what it is now for me living alone. Uh, I use my apartment as, as basically storage, but um, yeah, it was, it it was, there was a little tension there for sure. (laughs) All right. So tell us about your model now. Like, you know, what platforms do you sell on? Are you about having, you know, like scavenger life or any of myself, I'm very big on having a huge inventory and just waiting for people to buy where there's other people that are like, Hey, let's sell it real quick and let's turn that cash Mm -hmm. around. So what, what's your current model look like as far as reselling? Uh, Yeah. As far as, sell-through rate and stuff I aim for. I mean, I, I think I have a mixed model. I'm not really all fast. Uh, what is it? Fast, fast nickel. Fast nickel. Yeah. Or slow dime. I just have a mixture. I really, I like to keep my conversion rate uh, at about, I think on eBay, it's about 15% per month that I turn over. And so if I notice I'm adding more stuff, but I'm selling the exact same amount I was selling two months ago when I had fewer items, then I need to lower my prices and and there's a price issue. I need to speed stuff up. But uh, I just I try to I try to go for an ROI where with retail arbitrage, I think I average around 75% right now. So some things are are outliers on the high side where they'll bring 100, 150%, and some things are 50% and lower. I just, I try to mix it in and maintain stable sales, most importantly for me. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, we, we get this question all the time and it's, you know, how do I know when to be a full-time reseller? Like, how do I know when to leave my job? How do I, you know, what do I, <laughs> and, and I, I see you're cringing a little bit there because it's a different scenario for everyone, right? You got to have your comfort level. There's some people that will drop everything and just quit and go, I'm done and I'm going to start reselling and they have zero inventory. Then there's other people that play it safe like us. So explain to us that process. Like what, what led you to go, Hey, I can do this full time and what needed to take place for you to get to that? Yeah, I know. I, I know Mike has said he just plans on being part-time forever, right? He doesn't, he doesn't have any desire to go full-time. Um, it's, it's interesting because I would, I, I don't like working a full-time job for another person. I never really did. And I always kind of hoped I would find something that I could do independently. So as soon as I realized there was money in reselling, I wanted to work toward being full-time. And I noticed 
from social media that there were people who had crazy high sales or people selling a million dollars a year on Amazon who, uh, for whatever reason, they can't go full time. It's just not enough to replace what they're making uh, in their job. And then there were people who were making uh, less in sales than me who were full time. So it was really interesting for me. I kind of did the numbers and I decided I needed to be at at least 25K a month to be comfortable going full time because not only do you need to pay yourself a salary, but you need to make enough extra so that you can invest a little bit more in your business every month so so that you can keep growing your business. So that was my goal. And really adding Amazon is what got me there. With eBay, that's really, really hard. eBay's secondary to me to Amazon. And I didn't start Amazon until 2017. But within a year of doing Amazon by December 2018 Q4, I ended up doing 50K uh, or about 50K. I think it was like 40, high 40s on both eBay and Amazon for the 30-day period of Q4 that had the highest sales. And that was a that was a doubling from the previous month. So it's not like I was maintaining that consistently for a long time. But at that point, I was like, wow, I think I can actually do this pretty soon. I think I can go full time. Nice. And it's interesting that you said that some people make a million on Amazon and can't go full time. Yeah. Gross is uh, sometimes gross what happens to it once you actually do the uh, math and you take your net home, right? <laughs> no, no. And it, it's, it's interesting. It's just it. I've seen it and I, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that. So I'm interested. I, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is like you can make a million dollars on Amazon and you still can't go full time? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I look at people's numbers and I think no matter how much someone makes, it seems like we all pretty much make the same income <laughs> no matter what our sales are Nice. <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, I think a lot of those people that do a, a million, they either... They do wholesale, so they have really small margins and they have some wholesale connection, but they're not making all that much profit, perhaps. Or it it takes a lot to... Unless you're doing that solo all by yourself, you're paying employees and you're having a warehouse and you're having maybe 10,000 in expenses plus per month. So I, I think it's just a different business model usually for people who get up to a million. Most people don't do that a million from them alone listing on eBay. I mean, you'd be pretty rich if if you were just oh, yeah. listing my eBay. All, all thrifting? <laughs> yeah, you'd yeah. be sitting pretty well. So no, yeah. I really appreciate for- go ahead. No, I said I, I really appreciate you you sharing that because we always say that on the podcast. Like you you look at numbers you can get easily discouraged, but those numbers, there's so much to them. Even the 90 day total, right? You look at the 90 day total uh, you know, you see people that put 50K, but it could be like 20K shipping. It could be 10K cost of goods. It could be another five to 7K fee. I mean, before you know it, like you said, you could be making just as much money as that individual, yet your numbers are half of what their numbers are, which is, it is fascinating. I mean, I'm really interested in like, I the only reason I say that, and I've said this to Mike too, is like, I hope one day that I get to a place where I can actually show, yeah, I am making a ton of money because here's here's my property. Here's what's going on. But even, even cost of living plays a part in that, right? Like in San Diego, I live in a condo and that's because I think I'm pretty sure if I was in the South, I'd be doing pretty well right now, like really well. 
but yeah, it's, it's odd. So, all right. Well, thank you for sharing that. So talk to me about how things have changed. So you, you hit some thrift stores and then you started doing some retail arbitrage. And as a, as we followed you on, on Instagram, we've noticed that, you know, you go back and forth. Like I've, I've heard you sometimes say, I'm just going to do Amazon. I'm kind of slowing down on eBay. I'm going to go, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I just want to go private label. I mean, I think you've said that at one time. Uh, and so how have things changed over that time? I feel attacked. I no, feel I'm attacked. not trying. I'm just trying to keep it real here a little bit. <laughs> right. I mean, things have changed a lot the past year because before this COVID situation hit, I was doing a lot of OA and I thought, wow, I don't have to ever step into a store again. It's just optional for me. But then a lot of online stores got shut down. Like Burlington.com used to be a big source for me. And they just decided just... I don't think it was even COVID related. They just decided we're not going to sell online anymore. It's not profitable Mm -hmm. for us. So a lot of my online stuff got cut off for whatever reason. The stores weren't restocking the things I used to buy before. So I've been doing a lot more RA and going back to to the drawing board with that. Whereas I thought I'd graduated from the RA stuff. Um, and, and with Amazon, I think uh, you talked about me saying, I'm going to just focus on Amazon, less eBay. But I really noticed with Amazon, there seems to be this equation where the higher sales you get after a certain point, the less profit you make per sale. And so I started noticing, here I am, I'm making 5000 more on Amazon than I made last month, but I'm only... It, my profit breakdown on inventory lab, I have $500 profit from that. So I realized the profit on eBay is really good. So it would make more sense for me to make an extra 5,000 from eBay than it does from Amazon. It's just, I, I don't know why it's after a certain point on Amazon, like Amazon, when you f- get up to about 20 K 25 K and sales, I think you can make a strong profit. But the more that you try to do, it seems like the less return you get. Have you have you yeah. ever noticed that with Amazon? Yeah, well, and, and not just Amazon, but I, I think like that's an economic principle, law of diminishing returns, right? Like that that mm-hmm. tends to happen a lot of times in different businesses. The more profit you make in that gross number, um, you get to a threshold where it takes more to make less. You know, and and for some companies, it's worth it to put in the more to make less because they can do it at such scale. Uh, but yeah, for an individual, that that could be really tough to to try and try and do that. So when you first started Amazon, um, it sounds like you started doing retail arbitrage. So did you, did you notice that you were gated in a lot of categories and you had to kind of work your way through that? Uh, Cause I've never actually done the Amazon thing. I've tried a couple of times to start, but I get frustrated with the gating. And then I'm like, I don't even know if I want to put in the effort of finding an area I'm not, and then getting ungated. Like what was your journey through that? Yeah. Amazon was gated in a lot of stuff when I joined. So I I have my own particular theory about what happened with Amazon and the gating, but I started Amazon 2017 in the fall. And right in the fall 2017, I believe based on talking to a lot of people was the cutoff date for when they started gating things heavily because mm-hmm. I had heard from word of mouth, when you get to 50K in sales, you're ungated and everything. That wasn't the case for me and other people who started around the same time as me. I got to 50K in sales and I was expecting to get brands like Nike and Under Armour. It didn't happen. And then I got to about 100K in sales and I got uh, Puma, Under Armour, Reebok, some of those sports brands. 
no Nike, no some of these more premium brands. And it was really hard when I started. I I focused a lot on non-brand products and making my own listings. And it was it was definitely hard, but I ended up finding a niche where I could add a lot of stuff to the Amazon catalog and I found a way to sell stuff that wasn't name brand. But yeah, it's it's really hard. I would just recommend if you want to sell on Amazon, just spend the money and buy all the ungatings you can possibly get because it takes a long time. It took me years. And up until this past year, January last year, uh, about yeah, two years of selling. And I, I think I was around 500K in sales. That's when I finally got ungated in all those pretty much every brand i all the toy brands i clicked on almost all of them i i got auto ungated like like lego it took me five hundred thousand dollars to get ungated lego automatically so yeah i just say just spend the money and buy what you want to sell and don't waste time because you're gonna have to spend enough to have to to get 500k (laughs) would you rather just spend a thousand dollars to get the the ungating on the brand that that seems a lot easier to me yeah no kidding so i wanted to validate on you for a moment because you had asked me about do i do we find the same thing with amazon the more money you make the less the more the more sales the less you make and the year before i went full-time i i made i made a good amount of money when i was part-time on amazon and then the mm-hmm. next year was the year where I bought like the Toys R Us liquidation and I came across all these things and I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and uh, I ended up the same. <laughs> like it didn't, it didn't, I thought as long as if I just keep throwing money, I'm just going to make more money. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars spent and it, yeah. it was different. And this year I actually made more than the previous year. And I didn't, I spent a little bit more, but I was smarter. Like my ROI had to change. I, I wasn't chasing hot items. I was, you know, uh, doing some of the, not this year, but last year I was doing some of the creating your own listings that does help. It's kind of weird how that happens, how you create your own listing and it still sells, even though there's no SEO, there's no, there's no advertising. It just kind of sells. And you're like, this is kind of strange. Like what caused somebody to go on here and go, I want this specific product, but it, but it happens. So yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with you, Anya. I, I think it's, it's, if you want to make good money on Amazon, there's just my, my, you know, just the conclusion I came to after studying a lot of individuals that you end up like with 10% margins. And once you, once, once you start becoming a million dollar seller, you'll make like 10, maybe 10% is like a good number, but it's like you said, Mike, like some retailer, I think like Macy's and target, they make like three to 5% a year. Right. And these are, these are billion dollar companies. Right. So so yeah, I just wanted to validate what you're saying because I do believe with Amazon, it's really a tough game to have super profitable ROI on all the stuff you source. So, all right, let's switch things up a little bit. I'm really interested in, in your private label here just because... Oh yeah, tell us what the product is and, <laughs> and, and where are your manufacturers? How can I get in contact with them? Okay, okay. Before we go there, which we're not going to, but um, the reason, the reason I'm really impressed by you, Anya, is the fact that all the time, you know, you, you hear that, you know, private label is really difficult, right? Private label, you need like 20. I've heard numbers from 5K to 30K, right? I've heard people that spend 30K to get private labels saying all these people trying to sell you on 5K label products, uh, private label products. They're not telling you the truth. They're not telling you how much the cost actually is. And then also, 
it just seems that like you need you need to be like in the know, like you need to be around a certain group of people and you need to like, you know, hire people to do this and do that. But it seems to me that you just you went like the not not saying the YouTube route, but you you applied what a lot of people do with eBay. Like they go to YouTube, they listen to podcasts and eventually they gain enough knowledge that they figured things out. And it seems like you've done that and you've been successful at a private label. So tell us about that journey. Yeah, I I think people overcomplicate private label and I think it's part of the marketing of private label. I think I kind of caught on to that. So I never, uh, it, it seemed pretty easy and straightforward to me because like I was saying a few minutes ago, when I started Amazon, I was skated in a lot and I created a lot of my own listings. I ended up buying a bunch of UPCs from eBay to create listings because a lot of these products didn't even have UPCs on them. And within a year, I went through 400 UPCs, which means I created over 400 listings on Amazon and I would just list stuff and the items would sell. And I'd, I'd have multi quantity often and I'd sell, I've sold up to 50. Uh, items of things that I've just listed on Amazon. So when I heard people talk about, uh, you need to have this premium packaging, your listing has to have video and this, I'm like, no, you don't have to do that. I've sold a bunch of products. So I think that gave me some confidence in just being able to, if you find the right product, you can just sell it with a simple, basic listing. Um, I know uh, there's a lot of courses out there. I actually, I prepared a special analogy for this because I, I had a feeling <laughs> you're going to ask that. But nice. so, so when I was younger, um, this is about courses that that claim to teach you everything about Amazon courses versus just going the free content route. So when I was younger, I was really into a, a lot of movies that were coming out and I would watch all of the trailers for the movies and I would watch all the interviews, the behind the scenes content. So when I finally got to the theater, I was so excited thinking like this movie is going to be so good. And I would watch the movie and, you know, I paid all this, I paid $15 for my ticket and, and the popcorn. I'm watching the movie and I'm disappointed because I feel like I've already seen all this before. It's just being all presented now in order, but I already knew what was going to happen. There were no surprises for me. That's how I feel about these private label courses. I feel like the free content is out there and it's the same as what's in the courses. You just have to know the the steps. And for me, what I thought I I didn't know was how to do product research and find a, a, a product. Like, how do you choose? That was the biggest dilemma for me. And I felt like I can figure out how to uh, ship the product from China to the Amazon warehouse. I mean, there's a video that tells you how to do it. It's not going to be different from a video in a course. There's really not... There, there's, you contact someone and, and you... A freight forwarder and they help you out with it. So there's really not a whole lot that I felt like I could get from a course. So I just listened and, and I recommend to people, it is expensive. So I say, start listening to free content, find a few podcasts or YouTubers that you can listen to on a regular basis and get to know the process and start setting aside some money or a plan to, to put money into it. Cause it's gonna take a while to save up uh, I think 5,000 does work for a product. You could spend more. I haven't spent more than, uh, I think, I think just under 8,000 for 
uh, it was actually two products, two variations, but I don't think you need $20,000, but uh, just start learning gradually and just fill in the, I don't know that's, that's my advice. Just learn it slowly over time. So is it as easy as I'm seeing on TikTok where I'm seeing these 18 year olds on TikTok? I know you're already rolling your eyes. I see, I see on TikTok, I see these 18 year olds go, listen, this is how you do it. You, you see a, you find a product and they're using whatever Chrome extension, right? Maybe they're using Jungle Scout. I don't know what they're using, right? It, it depends. And they're like, look at this product and see how much they're selling a month. And then you find out how much they're selling a month. You go over to Alibaba and then you find that product and then you buy a lot of product. Then you go over to this site and it's going to help you build your Shopify. Then you build your Shopify and boom, you're done with private label. You're ready to go. Or you put it on Amazon. Is it that easy? Yeah. It's as easy as they say on TikTok. Of course, everything <laughs> on TikTok is true. I mean, is that a discussion? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean... <laughs> I think so from what I hear, it used to be like that with private label where you could just look up, Oh, well, garlic presses are selling a million a month. And then you would go to Alibaba, order a garlic press and just put it up on Amazon. But now I think you need to really customize your product and they call it differentiation, make your product stand out. All of mine are custom. I have someone on Fiverr or 99 designs customize the everything from like the colors of the products and certain features fine-tuned i've had 3d modeling done so i have my own custom mold for how something is made so i don't think it's easy to just pick a generic product buy it and list it i've, I've noticed there are, are generic products listed on amazon but those are Th those defeat the purpose of private label because if it's a generic listing, anybody can jump on the listing. And then you have the whole price tanking thing. You might have Chinese sellers coming on it and really tanking the price. So I think the advantage is in customizing your product a little bit. Um, and, and it's become more hard to, to launch your product. Launching your product is basically going from having a listing on Amazon that no one knows about to getting reviews on your product and moving up on the search results so that you show on the first pages of Amazon, that's become a lot harder to do. People used to use tactics like giveaways, mm -hmm. which Amazon frowns upon now. So it takes a little bit more time and that, that takes some money to do as well. So you should have budget for the marketing aspect too, but no, it's, it's not that, it's not that it's that simple, but it's not that easy. There's going to be a lot of work in promoting your product, choosing your product, customizing it. And um, it takes, I, I say, you probably spend about at least a month on working on fine tuning that product. And then from there, getting that to a supplier, it takes another three months from production to uh, checking the product, getting a sample to getting it ship to Amazon. So it, it does take a very... We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Hey everyone, ever found yourself too busy to list or wanting to scale and not knowing how? Well, we've partnered with a great service called Sellhound. They will help you do much of the heavy lifting and can benefit your business in many ways. Sign up for listing services with Sellhound and receive 25% off your first purchase or 25% off your first month of a Sellhound monthly subscription. You can do this by using our promo code 
all in caps, pure hustle 25. That's the numbers two five. By the way, everyone gets three free listings to try out before any purchases. Just go to sawhound.com and subscribe using our promo code pure hustle 25. Very long time. It's, it's not, it's not that easy. Okay. So on the scale, obviously private labels probably further along the scale as far as the difficulty and knowledge you need to have. And then maybe just going to a garage sale or thrift store and picking up something, putting on eBay is probably on the lower end. Um, Mm -hmm. So would you say that doing something like that, doing private label is not for everyone and that only you have to have certain like mindset or or personality for, or do you think it's something that, that more people could do? It just, they might be afraid of it. Yeah, I think more people are going to start doing it in the future, actually. I think I think anybody can do it, but because it is expensive and you know costs thousands of dollars, it's not going to be cheap. Not everyone wants... Uh, if, if you want what comes with private label, unlimited income potential, basically, if you get uh, the right products in stock, not everybody wants reselling or having their own business to be their main income. So if if you just want to make $2,000 a month, it's probably a lot easier and safer to just go to thrift stores or do retail arbitrage and make that money. But for uh, for me, I have a goal of uh, making a lot more money. So I think uh, for me, I want to tap into this higher income potential that I don't really see with reselling because there's so many stumbling blocks with reselling. You have competitors on the listings with you. Uh, You don't control the supply. So you might find a great product for a month or two. You can buy that product, make a lot of money, and then you never see that product again in your life. Um, So it's, it's something for people who are kind of tired of what traditionally happens with competition coming on listings with not being able to find uh, the, the really good selling products, you can just create your own really good selling product and, and buy a ton of it. But it, it's kind of like a wholesale too. It's like one wholesale product isn't going to change your life. Like mm-hmm. I think I, I have seven private label products and people are like, wow, that's amazing. You're so successful as a private labeler. But if I said, hey guys, I, I'm doing wholesale now. I have seven wholesale products. They wouldn't, I don't think people would, think, wow, you have seven wholesale products. You're Some set. Wow, you're... I mean, <laughs> you think they would? Yeah. I mean, wholesale is still, so I look at it as the, the, the bottom, like the easiest barrier of entry is, is eBay. Like it's the easiest, right? You can sell anything, pick up anything. And then that's thrifting. Then retail arbitrage, it's a little more difficult. And then after that, you get into Amazon, and then Merchant Fulfilled, then you go Amazon FBA. I, and then after that, it's wholesale. And then I think it's private label. Because wholesale, <laughs> you, you got to find distributors, right? You got to you gotta be, yeah. get uncomfortable. You got to be willing to make, I, and I don't know how many phone calls or what it took, but you know, you got to be able to make cold calls. You got to establish yourself as a business. And I mean, now it's a lot easier because we've had, I think a lot of YouTubers that have now openly shared like, hey, this is how I got gated on toys, right? So they're buying mm. toys wholesale, but man, the profit margins on those are just horrendous. Like I just, I, I couldn't go down that road. Uh, but private label to me, I mean, I, I have a lot, this is why, and not the only reason I wanted you on the podcast, but I wanted people to hear that you can do it on your own. Like it doesn't require, it does require money and it does require, I think it requires a lot of time. 
right? You shared one time I saw on an Insta story where you're like, this took several hours on YouTube, listening to all these podcasts. Uh, did you have failed products too, Anya? Yeah, I, yeah, I, yes, I guess I feel fine. <laughs> Do you um, mind sharing that without better. sharing what it is unless you want to? Like, what, I, I, what happened? I, I still have hopes for it, so I don't want to share it, but. Okay, okay. Uh, it's a. You don't it, have to tell, just, just don't tell us what it is, just what happened. Yeah, I, I had two really successful products last year. And those, uh, that, those two products, they're a variation. Those have done over 100K at this point in, in the past little bit over a year. So I made something kind of derivative of that product. But I was going, I was looking on Amazon and there's, it had, I, I don't know how to describe it. It just, this product didn't seem to be doing that well on Amazon, but there was one, there was one particular listing on Amazon. It was actually sold by Amazon itself. And it was very similar to my product. So that was my mistake was that there weren't a ton of listings that were doing well with this uh, variation that I wanted to do, but Amazon was doing really well. And I thought if I can just become a legitimate competitor to Amazon's version of this by making it kind of similar to theirs, then I think I could get some of that market share. And, and using the tools to look up Amazon's, it looked like that variation was doing really good money. But unfortunately, it was just a dud. It just mm -hmm. It's just been sitting there. I can't get reviews, many reviews on it. It's just no one's interested in it. And I should have one of the rules with private label is you're supposed to look at the whole first page and make sure that the whole first page is filled with products in that, that type that are doing really well. And I, I thought somehow um, that maybe people just hadn't caught on to it. And Amazon, you know, was, was the only one that had, but that wasn't the case, but I, I'm building a Shopify site right now. And I think that there is actual traffic and demand for this product, but just Amazon, for some reason is not the best place to sell every type of product. So um, I'm still hoping to make some profit off of it yeah. eventually. And when you're, when your competition is Amazon, uh, I feel like it's going to be a little bit more challenging in some ways too. Cause I mean, I don't know what all they do on the back end, but I'm sure they're going to promote yeah. their version a little bit more than they're going to try and promote yours. So. so Right. And it's, for me to promote, I'm going to have to pay a lot of money, whereas they can just put their stuff wherever they want to put it. Mm -hmm. For sure. They do what they want. So, yeah. okay. Now you had mentioned, and I don't know if you want to, but what we have probably, we have, I know we have a lot of listeners that have no idea what you're talking about. Like, Hey, looking on how well a product is doing on Amazon. Oh, right. Right. So are you willing, I mean, I, I can share on a future podcast, but are you willing to share like how, 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 how could somebody find out? Like you want to know, Hey, is it worth it? Like, is this product, how, how many sales are they making? How much do they sell a day? Like, are, what are some of those tools? Yeah, there's there's a list of guidelines that people say you should use to choose your private label product. And uh, I, I've i used Viral Launch. I think my subscription, I don't know, something happened with my debit card. So I'm not currently subscribed, but I've used Viral Launch. There's also Jungle Scout. Helium 10 is... Helium 10 is probably the big one right now to use. They're just plugins that you pay... They're kind of expensive, anywhere from 50 to 100 a month to use these plugins. But what you can do is you can go to Amazon and you can type in 
um, kitchen forks and knives or something like that. And all the listings come up on Amazon and you just click on this plugin and it goes listing by listing. It tells you this product is based on the rank. It, it calculates this product is ranked number 56 in kitchen. It's selling $1 million a month. Uh, and you can go down the page. This product is ranked 1000. It's selling 500,000 a month. So you can see what the average monthly sales are for the product that you want to list. So if you're like, I will, I want to make a million dollars a month, you'd want to be looking for products that make that much money. I mean, I, I don't think you could launch a product like that. Cause I'm sure those are well-established with tens of thousands of reviews, but that's, that's pretty much how it works. So, um, but for criteria, other criteria you want to look at, you want to look at competition. So you actually want to balance, this has really high sales volume, but I've also noticed that on the first page, they have an average of 20 reviews per listing, which isn't that bad. You're like, okay, I can get 20 reviews on a product. So I could probably compete with these guys. Um, it also, it's really accurate because I've tested this with my own products, but it tells you approximately how much it would cost to get the product made on Alibaba. So one of my products costs about $5.50 to get made on Alibaba. And if I use the viral launch tool to type in this type of product and see how much it would cost me, it says it would cost you about five to $6 landed. It's like dead accurate. Mm -hmm. So you can, I mean, you said, um, you don't know how much it costs to get a product done. You've heard people throw out, it costs $30,000. Mm -hmm. If you have a tool, you can just um, reverse, pretty much reverse calculate exactly how much it's going to cost by, it, it gives you all that data, uh, really useful data. No, you, I think I think you touch on something there is that when you pay individuals for these course and this knowledge, they're using the same tools that everybody else has access to. Right. So I think about like online arbitrage drops, right. That I think that's like the latest trend I've seen. I saw this last Q4 is like, Hey, by these drops, all they're doing is using retail arbitrage. I mean, not retail, they're using tactical arbitrage or they're using mm -hmm. some kind of tool that everybody has access to, but you know, it's only what you know, right. Mm -hmm. If you don't know, you don't know. And sometimes it's worth it to pay to have that knowledge that you don't know. And then once you feel comfortable in using those mechanisms, then it's kind of like, okay, I don't need to pay anybody. I can figure this out on my own. And it seems like that's what you've done. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's dozens of product research videos on Amazon and they all, I, I've watched several of them. They more or less give you the same criteria. They say, you know, you, you can search for a product based on criteria. You can say, I want a product that does an average of 20,000 a month. I want it to, I want the average reviews on the page to be uh, two reviews. Like you don't want any competition. You just put in what you're looking for and you, you can select the category. I want it to be in the kitchen category. And it just gives you a list of all the potential products. And that's, that's basically all everyone's doing. They just give you slightly different tweaks. Like it, it's really funny. The tweaks they give you aren't all that different. They'll say, uh, I have a special way of looking at it. Instead of putting in, I want my product to do... 15,000 a month, I put in 15,500 because then I won't get the same things as everyone else. But really, I mean, you can, you can play around with it and tweak it yourself. You don't have to use exact criteria. There's no magical criteria. So um, yeah, I, I just think the free content explains it all. And 
if you if you're an absolute beginner, uh, you might want a course if you don't know anything about Amazon at all. But I think most people listening to this or people who sell on Amazon can can figure it out with just a few few extra supplements. Yeah, it's just time. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's just time. It's how, how much time are you willing to research <laughs> and, and figure out what's going on? So uh, real quick, so as a uh, consumer on Amazon, I rely heavily on on reviews and make almost all of my purchases based off of what I see in reviews. So with new products that come out, uh, like you said, or somebody doing those kinds of listings, um, are there ways that those reviews, at least some of them in the beginning, are maybe not legit? Like, are there people who are finding ways to get their items up higher by paying for reviews or fake reviews? Like... What is what does that look like? Not not what you do per se, but just uh, since you probably have a little bit more background information on what others are doing to compete against you, uh, what should I be looking for as a consumer on Amazon when I'm seeing reviews? I'm I'm hurt that you think I would know anything about that. <laughs> well, I just mean I'm sure you know that other people. You got to know your competition and what they're doing. Yeah, I actually don't know what they're doing because sometimes I see their reviews. And I'm I'm thinking there's no way. How did you get those reviews so quickly? Um, Amazon has really cracked down in recent years on reviews. So I don't really think you have a whole lot to be worried about if you're seeing reviews. But for my personal standards, like if I see all their reviews are from January 2nd, 2020, and they have a hundred reviews, they're all like in the same like three day period. Mm. That looks really fishy. Like you should be accumulating reviews over a period of time. So that's something to look out for. That means they probably did some kind of promo giveaway or something where everyone is just leaving the review at the same time. But um, Amazon's really cracked down on that. I mean, if you if you <clears throat> if you have a family or a friend leave a review, they can tell. Uh, wow. They have ways of telling that you did yeah. that, and uh, yeah, they'll they'll penalize you. So it's. <sighs> I think people are getting reviews pretty legitimately. They might be using some type of giveaway third-party service, but you can't really force a good review. Even with these services, if if you see a lot of five-star reviews, I mean, people probably are pretty decently happy with the product. I mean, it, it's pretty legitimate these days, I think. Nice. Okay, so I have a question about your full-time reselling. So, you know... In my schedule, like I, I'm like the last person I ask about how disciplined are you about scheduling the fact that you're not working all the time. And it seems to me like you're one that I know, I know you keep late hours. I get that because sometimes, <laughs> you know, you, you shoot us a DM, right? And it's like one in the morning. I'm like, it's kind of late, like out there in Florida. But I, I'm interested, like, what does your week look like? And, and how many hours do you think you put in? Ooh. So I used to be way more disciplined, especially at the start of this, but I've, I've gotten just so much more relaxed. Uh, how, how much I put in, it really depends on my cash flow that given week. I mean, I would say I haven't been putting in the hours I did at the start just because this past year kind of hit me a little bit harder and I don't have as much inventory to process. I'm, I'm trying to re jumpstart my business a little bit. But I would say I'm just working a 40 to 48 hour week right now. And that's not super hard work. I mean, sometimes I have podcast TV going in the background, but I've worked up to 80, 90 hour weeks at times when I have peak sales. And 
Um, I, I'm not really a very scheduled person. I, <laughs> um, I kind of just do things whenever, like I know, um, if, if I have a lot of packing to do, then I'll get up, get straight to the packing. If I'm going sourcing, um, I'll, I'll, if I know, I, I don't know if I'll get in my car and I'll go, I might go sourcing for eight, 10 hours, uh, one day a week, but I don't really hold myself to any specific time windows. I just kind of know I have this much money. I have to spend it this week. And I just, I fit in just where it, where it fits in for me. Okay. No, I, I, I'm, I'm a lot of the same. I, I, I think I, I work extra hard when the cash flow isn't there. <laughs> and then when hmm. the cash flow is there, I work and maybe you're different. I know. I just feel that you're obviously, I just feel like in reselling <laughs> when the money isn't coming in, it just means I got to work more. And then when the money's coming in, I don't know. I guess during Q4, I work more when the money's coming in because you got to execute at that time. But like right now in January, like things are kind of slow. So I'm working more because I need to get things back to a certain level. Now, you had mentioned you spend a certain week. So do you budget out your capital, like how much you're going to spend a week? Well, so I have a structure where I pay myself a set salary and okay. it comes out. I, have a, I use a paycheck system, gusto.com or gusto. I'm not sure what it's called. But pretty much almost everything I um, that doesn't go to myself, I will spend on pretty much on, on inventory and things like that. So it's not really a, it, the budget kind of depends on how well I'm doing at a given time. All right. So explain to us that payroll system. I mean, and if you have an affiliate link, we'll drive you to we'll drive everyone to your affiliate link on your bio on Instagram. But what how did that change things for you? So I, I haven't met with my, my CPA in a while and I'm, I'm redoing or I'm finishing up my taxes from last year. So I'm a little bit rusty on how this works, but basically I had a regular LLC previously. And with the regular LLC, I didn't pay myself a paycheck. I just, everything I made, all of my profit was what I paid taxes on. And so I changed my business structure last year to an S corp. And with an S corp, you can pay yourself a salary and you can, your salary is a deduction. So I pay myself, uh, I think I, I don't know my exact salary, like, like 45,000 or something like that. And then I did when I'm doing my taxes for my business, uh, income, whatever other profit doesn't go to my salary stays in my business account. I deduct the 48,000 salary as a business expense. So I owe very few taxes um, on the business relative to last year. I basically saved like about half um, in taxes from wow. having the structure. So, um, and then the payroll system, what it does is it automatically takes out your taxes. So I think it's about two thousand or no something like like fifteen, yeah, two thousand dollars. I basically get fifteen hundred dollars every couple of weeks. And it takes two thousand, and then it holds five hundred of that aside, and it automatically pays payroll taxes, social security, and stuff like that. So I just get the portion after tax for my income, and I don't really have to worry about filing all that stuff separately. That's nice, and and I appreciate what you said about you know deductions and so on. Again, we offer no tax advice or any of that information. This is just what we do. But oh yeah. I see it a lot on, on social media that, that it's a flex how much taxes you pay. 
<laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if that's a flex. Yeah. I think that's just a lack of understanding of, you know, there's there's plenty of things you can do with your taxes that are legal that can prevent you from having to pay so much in taxes. But yeah, you should flex how much you're able to not pay. I know. I agree. <laughs> but I mean, I see resellers all the time. Like I had to pay this much. I'm like, wow. Like either A, you made a ton of money, like a ton of money, or B, you need to get a new CPA that can figure out like the tax laws for you. So would you agree with that or am I off? I mean, d- didn't Donald Trump pay $700 in taxes? For- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, yeah, it's true. Bezos paid zero. So yeah. Um, I mean, how much? Did, yeah. Jeff Bezos it doesn't, I don't think Amazon pays uh, taxes often, but um, yeah, it's, the first, yeah, I mean, you probably are making a lot of profit, but for me, the first year I went full time, I, uh, that previous year I had had all my job salary and then I had my full time. I, I was basically a full time reseller and working a full time job. So I had a really big salary that year. And, uh, I was kind of, I filed an extension for my taxes. So I found out that I owed like $30,000 oh. in taxes and I was not prepared for that because when you're growing your business, you're putting all your money into inventory. So I have, you know, here I am with a hundred thousand plus in inventory, but it's not that liquid. So I, I, that was a shocker for me. So I, I got a CPA that year and he's helped me to uh, get on this, uh, this different, this S corp structure where I can pay about half that much. And that's been very helpful. But yeah, I mean, I don't think that's a, I don't know if that's a flex. (laughs) That's, it's, you want to pay less taxes. I mean, who doesn't want to pay less taxes? I appreciate you saying that though, because the same thing happened to me. The, the, my first year that I was full-time, I still had salary from my, my previous employment. And when I added those two together, the the number was not pretty. So I, I, I get where you're coming from with that. And then when you're self-employed and that's all you are, like it, it definitely helps you a lot more in taxes. And so, right. Would you agree? Uh, you're like, no, I mean, yes and no, it's, it's, it helps you with taxes, but it, it kind of hurts you because when you're self-employed and you're depending on reselling, you need to reinvest more money. So when, when you have a huge chunk, 15%, 20% going to taxes, that's money that you can't, you're not gonna be able to grow your business as quickly. So. Okay. All right. Keeping it real here. That's right. Uh, so, so since we're already on taxes and, uh, that's everyone's favorite subject, uh, what are maybe some failures in your reselling career? Um, maybe like a, a top failure that you learned from and what was the lesson you learned from it? Um, you know, you should, you should really be prepared to pay your taxes. That's, (laughs) uh, I, I don't think I look at my failures, uh, this is kind of cliche, but as learning experiences. So I don't, I think I have a ton of failures that stand out, but last year for sure, my business got affected by the whole pandemic. And for a while I was like everyone else, I was doing really well because things were selling great online. I was finding uh, products to sell at a high markup, but that only lasted for me like a few months. And then after that, I just, my regular items were really slowed down. Even my, my private label products were doing about half as well as they had done 
the previous year. And I think my mistake was I didn't, I kept expecting, um, things to be the same. I like, uh, in August, typically it's football cleats are everywhere to buy. And I do pretty well selling football cleats. So I was thinking, Oh, well, you know, I can't find that much this month, but I'm just going to go extra hard when the football cleats come out. And then the football cleats didn't come out. And I kept, I kept waiting for, um, things to happen and they weren't happening. And then finally, at one point I had this wake up call, like, wait a minute, this is not like last year. I need to really kick myself into gear and find a new way to find products and, and start from scratch. Cause my, my bullet points are not working for this year. So last year was a, a drop for me versus the previous year. Um, a lot of people, they gained the, the COVID 15. Have you heard of that? Oh yeah. The, the 15 pounds. Well, I, I lost the COVID 100 K because mm. I dropped a hundred K off my sales compared to 2019 and mm. 2020. Ouch. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's sad, but <laughs> I, I didn't realize I needed to pivot until it, it took multiple hits for me to realize I need to snap into gear and figure out how to make this year work for me. So that was my, my failure for last year. Hey, I appreciate you being real about that though. I mean, that, 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 that's an important lesson. I mean, pivoting is so huge. And it's interesting hearing from someone that pivots a lot. Like you, you, you've adapted a lot, right? I mean, and you're still full time. It's not like it got, it got to a point where like you couldn't do full time anymore. It's just, you've, you figured things out and you had to change. So what are the changes you're making this year? Yeah. Changes I'm making this year. Well, because I, uh, one of the things that's, that's slowed down things is Amazon itself. Amazon's taken a long time to check in inventory. So I've really increased my merchant fulfilled sales. I think about a quarter of my sales last year ended up being merchant fulfilled. I was strictly all FBA prior to this, except for in Q4. I would, I would only do FBA no matter what. Now I'm doing merchant fulfilled sales and I'm learning new niches like uh right now it's valentine's day coming up so i'm focusing heavily on on candy and i i used to just sell the same products year round like apparel the shoes some of my other niches but those aren't doing as well so i'm trying to learn new things that are hot and relevant to make sure i have consistent sales and just uh that means a lot more research at the computer which it's not fun to when you've kind of groomed your business to do a certain thing, you kind of have it on autopilot. It's not fun to go back to the drawing board and get in that research stage again, but that's kind of necessary for me uh, right now. Okay. That's that's no, but that's good to hear. I, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, I was on mm -hmm. autopilot for a while and then COVID made me make changes. And now I'm back to the drawing board, I think again, because <laughs> things have kind of switched up since Q4 to Q1. Now, my yeah, you said you're still doing you're still doing garage sales and uh, and yeah. thrifting again. I, I am. I well, no. I mean, thrifting. Mike and I would say we're not doing right yeah, in the it's, sense it's tough oh, here. It is. It is bad is right that now. COVID or is that just the prices? We don't know. Like we, we, it is the inventory is low. The prices are high. It's just. It's just. A, I mean, I'm doing way more retail arbitrage as far as eBay goes than I've ever done before. Yeah. Yeah. We can, oh, we can, uh, buy from a thrift store, uh, a pair of tennis shoes for their 
40 bucks that we could resell for 25 is about how bad the prices are right now. So. Wow, is that, I wonder if that's every, I haven't been to a thrift store in a while. Is that, do you hear that from other people no, in I mean, we, geographically? I think, ge- I think geography plays a part. Uh, you know, I had, you know, I talked about this week, like I basically, all I did is Marshall's TJ Maxx raw. Like that's all I did, which is not the norm for me. Like during Q4, that's the norm. But quarter one, I'm in the thrift stores in my garage sales. I'm doing all this. And man, I mean, the other day, I know because of COVID and also because some of the, you know, political stuff going on, I think people are, are more just holding on to their stuff. I don't know what's going on, but even out here in San Diego, and, and we'll talk about this in our update episode, like garage sales, we would have about 400 or so happening in San Diego. And now it's about like 100. And then where we live, it's down to like 30. And then you cut that down even more. It's it's There's nothing there. And so I've, and I don't like sourcing retail arbitrage because you know how it is. It's a, it's a lot of money when you do retail arbitrage and you got to sell fast. And I'm not a, I'm not a sell fast kind of guy, but you know, on eBay, at least on Amazon, I am, but not on eBay, but I, I, I got to adapt. So I don't know. I feel like you see, I think Anya could have her own podcast, but anyway, just saying, um, talk to me a little bit. Um, I I've been interested. Uh, what was my question? Oh, you, so I had, I had seen this on social media and somebody had asked what is not you particularly, but, uh, you know, resellers, what's your exit strategy? Let's say reselling doesn't work, right? Let's say, which I believe reselling is always going to be around. It's just about pivoting and adapting, but you had talked about like there's certain ceilings, like there's only so much you believe can happen in reselling. So what, you know, you don't have to share everything, but I, I find that most resellers that are, let's say. I don't want to say um, there's a word. I don't want to insult anyone, but that understand that like reselling can be the end all, like have multiple streams of income. So are there other things you're doing on the side that you're growing in case you need an exit strategy? So if my, if this reselling thing doesn't work out, uh, I think private label is, is different from reselling because it's, it doesn't require, having to rely on other businesses to give you the products that you need at the price you need. So for me, setting that up is, is part of my exit strategy. Hopefully it's a really, really big business right now for people to actually buy private label brands. And there's big companies. One of them is called Thrasio. They're actually the first, I think they're the first company to reach a 1 billion or the fastest company to reach a $1 billion valuation profitably. Mm -hmm. And they're a company that just buys Amazon private label businesses. And then they improve the brand's uh, products and their listings. And they are dominating private label on Amazon. So yeah, they bought out, they bought out a third of Amazon third-party seller private label companies, just in case you're wondering who this company is. And they just tweak it and make more money on top of those companies. So all right, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And actually the uh, one of the guys who works there, the software I was talking about, Viral Launch, he used to be the he's a guy who created that software originally and was the CEO and he now works for them. So these guys are very knowledgeable on just how the whole private label thing works. But I would ideally like to create a brand that I could get running profitably and then sell to one of these companies. From what I understand, they'll pay you a a standard is about triple what your annual gross is. So if you're selling 
like $200,000 uh, a month, then they'll pay you like $600,000 for your brand. I, th I think that's what the numbers are. It could have been three X your profit, but I think it, I think it was three times your gross sales that they'll pay you. I'm, I'm, I'm not totally sure on that, but basically I would want to grow a really profitable brand and then sell it because when you're even in the private label with all this reselling, you're always putting in more money and you can never really enjoy the profit because you have to make another order. And then that time you have to increase your order quantity. So you're putting in more money and you can never, you never really just have like a huge nest egg until I feel like when you sell out, if you sell all your inventory and you sell your business, you get an influx of profit. And that's, that would be my end goal. I, I don't have really any other revenue sources. I'd like to have something that didn't involve spending money to make money. Mm. It's, that's a hard one to find though. But, uh, no, I just, I, I just, the reason I ask, I see you dabbling in the stock market a little bit. I see you dabbling in other streams of income. And I think, I think all of us have kind of done that since COVID. Like we've all figured out like, yes, reselling, you can definitely go full time. You can definitely make a living, but it's very wise to have other streams of income because either you're going to always have to be pivoting like crazy, or you're going to have to have a large stockpile of money saved up in case things get kind of, you know, kind of rough for a moment. And, uh, I mean, even myself, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this last month. I'm glad I made a lot of money in Q4 so I can kind of ride out, you know, the, the slowdown right now. Maybe I'm the only person that's had slow sales. I don't know. I don't know. You still yeah, think yeah. good on you? Um, <laughs> they've been better now that I've been focusing in on this, this Valentine's day candies, candy is doing good, but, yeah, they've been slower in general for several months for me. I'm okay. I'm starting to get it, I feel like to gain control again and to start increasing again, but it's still it's still down compared to last year for okay. me. Okay. All right. Hey, do you have a last question here? Yeah. So um you uh if you've listened to the, our interviews, you probably know this one's coming, but uh I like to always ask the people that we we interview, um, what is like your maybe like a life lesson or a life motto that you go by. Uh, Cause we have a lot of people who listen who are just starting out there. Sometimes we have a lot of listeners who are like 16, 17. They're just getting into this. Maybe uh, they're just starting a family or, or they're kind of new into their career. And it's, I always find it helpful to get like the one or two things from somebody that kind of guide them in their life or guide them or pieces of advice that you could offer uh, to our listeners. Ooh, I didn't, I actually didn't know this question was coming. Um, Okay, everyone, pay your taxes. Nice. <laughs> no, I actually, um, a motto. I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not really a motto type of person. Same. I just, I, but I do, here's what I do think. I strongly think that uh, you, you guys have read, uh, I think, Napoleon Hill on, mm -hmm. on some of your book things. Mm -hmm. And I think it's him. It might not be, but one of these self-help people talk about the top 5% and they give this story about how out of a hundred people starting out, only 5% of them are going to have enough money for retirement and how everyone wants to be in the top 5%. So for me, my whole thing with, with life and money is that just doing the average or, or even a little bit better than average is not enough. I, I'm really thinking long term and I want to make sure 
that I'm creating an excess of money so that I can be prepared for the future. So my thing is, um, you know, people still tell me I, I did 100K less this year than last year. So I did just under 400,000 sales uh, this year. And people are like, that's great for a person by yourself, a single person. That's really good. But for me, it's really not enough because I'm trying to advance and get to a place where I have plenty of excess so that I can start saving and doing those things that are going to provide me with security. So just, you know, maybe average is not, is not enough is kind of a motto of mine. Nice. I like it. That's good. That's good. All right. So based on everything we talked about, we touched on this a little bit. Where, where do you see reselling in the coming years? Do you, do you see that eBay and all that's going to still pan out? You think Amazon's going to get more difficult? Do you think, you know, uh, based on everything that's going on, <laughs> the, the, unknown, the stuff we don't talk about on the podcast, do you think that reselling is going to be up for a, a huge turn? What, what are your thoughts? Just speculating. I think it's still going to be around. I think it's going to change. I think it's it's already started changing. Like you mentioned earlier, the the groups, the the Discord groups. I think there's going to be those uh, leaders that are giving people the leads, and whether stores clamp down, they're calling. You talk about this a lot. They're calling people scalpers nowadays, and reselling is looked down upon. So maybe they want to crack down resellers, but there's going to be people finding ways to get it around it. And they're going to, whether they charge money or not, they're going to share with other people how they can get around it too. And we're just going to keep beating the system. So I think reselling is going to be around. It just might change its form a little bit. Okay. Nice. Well, do you have uh, do you have any last words you want to give our listeners or maybe uh, tell them how they can find you and get a hold of some of your content? You can find me on Instagram at resellicious, but you're going to have to pay attention to my story. Make sure you're following my story because that's where I do most of my posts. Yeah, And she drops a lot of knowledge. I, I will tell you, Anya, I'm, I'm still very impressed by your business model and how you figured things out. You say you're not good at numbers, but you know your numbers. Like I, everything I hear from you, like, you know exactly what you need to make, what it takes to get there and so on. And I think that's I find that that's one thing that a lot of resellers struggle with. I know myself, I, struggle. I don't want to know the numbers. I just want to work and have the money in my bank account and I'm good to go. But so, but I have respect to your hustle. You, you do a great job and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and sharing what you do and hope. I, I think this brought a lot of value to a lot of people. Oh yeah. So, all right. Thank you, Anya. So find her Resalicious on Instagram and on YouTube. You can watch, uh, watch her videos from back in the day and maybe she'll, she'll throw some other ones up there soon. So with that being said, hey, everyone, uh, (laughs) make sure to be real, be relevant, and be reselling. Peace. Peace.